When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice and Scott Pasco. We're talking late game offensive situations because Scott Pasco, that is what people are wondering about. Didn't go so great at Green Bay. We certainly, I mean, the idea, Scott, that either of these last two Browns games against the Steelers or Bengals could come down to this. I mean, the way the Browns have played this year, that's absolutely on the table. They, they were good in one-score games last year. They have not been very good in one-score games this year. That is a common thing that, again, maybe people, that, me included, didn't want to face the reality on that coming into this year. But we're doing this not just to look back, Scott, back, Scott but because this is what the season could come down to in the next couple games. So that's going to be the focus on Gotta Watch the Tape. Scott Patsko, we're going to start off with Baker Mayfield in the fourth quarter. So dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, because like you said, there's no reason not to believe these games won't be close because this is what we've seen all season. The Browns just have this knack of playing everybody close, whether it's the Lions or the Ravens, the Packers or the Chiefs. Uh, it just happens. So we're going to break this down into like three parts. And like you said, we're going to start with Baker. Everything starts with Baker. Um, do you remember when the Browns got the ball back with 205 left to play on Christmas? I guess the Packers. I know you do. Uh, they had everything lined up for them, right? Game-winning drive was there for the taking. Of course, it didn't happen. But that was the fifth time this season they had faced a situation like that. Like late fourth quarter, final drive. You need a score to win. Baker Mayfield, you know, is the quarterback. And it's the fifth time they failed to score. 0-5 in potential game-winning drive situations. That 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 sounded like the beginning of the worst Mariah Carey Christmas <laughs> song ever. <laughs> Do you remember with yeah. 205 when Baker got the ball back in Lambeau Field? Dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, and they didn't score, and they lost, and everybody wanted a new quarterback. Yeah, yeah, it's like Grandma got run over by the by a, a reindeer <laughs> version of the Mariah Carey song. It's just, everything's bad. Uh, yeah, we remember. But again, like uh, your your point is like, given how the season has gone, it, it couldn't exactly have been surprising that it didn't work out for the offense at the end there. Right, right. Now, they, they did manage to take a lead late against the Raiders with Nick Mullins, a quarterback. And I'm not implying anything by pointing that out. I'm just saying that it has it has happened at least once. But then obviously the, the Raiders came back and, you know, too much time and all that. The point here is that the Browns offensive struggles in the fourth quarter are like just intertwined with Baker this season his late game issues. Both have been a huge step down from 2020 and are near the top of the list of the reasons why the Browns are where they are, right? You got to win your final two games and get help 
from others to make the playoffs. By the way, and I don't know if they've mentioned this on other podcasts this week. I haven't gotten around to listening to them, but just so people are clear, the Bengals lose to the Chiefs. The Ravens lose to the Rams on Sunday. The Browns going to kick off on Monday night against the Steelers, controlling their own destiny. If the Bengals and Ravens both lose, the Browns just need to win their final two games. doesn't matter what happens in any other game in week 18. That's it. So, but still you need help. And the big reason why is they haven't been able to pull out all those games where they've had a chance to win. The Browns were 10 and three last season in games where the score was separated by a touchdown or less at some point in the fourth quarter. They're six and six in those games this year, five and five with Mayfield as the quarterback. And according to pro football reference, They've had the Browns have had six fourth quarter comebacks and seven game winning drives with Mayfield as the quarterback since 2018. I will not say that Mayfield has seven game winning drives and six fourth quarter comebacks because I've I've established that I do not believe those are quarterback stats. But the Browns mm, have yes. been able to do that. None of those, however, had happened this season. Zero fourth quarter comebacks, zero game winning drives, and a big reason for that is the Browns' inability to score in the fourth quarter. They rank 31st in fourth quarter scoring, only 4.4 points per game. They ranked 10th last season. Again, the problems here are connected to Baker's problems. His career in the fourth quarter can like be split. It's 2018 and 2020 on one side and 2019 and 2021 on the other side. So it's been this roller coaster of up and down seasons. And it's amazing how those, those two pairings have kind of gone together. Like 2018 and 2020 with both good years. Right for Baker, at least 80% of his fourth quarter passes were on target. And I'm using Sports Info Solutions data for this. They they kind of track on target throws. More than 80% in both those years on target. 2019 and 2021. <clears throat> so this year in the the Freddie Kitchens year, his on target rate was below 70%. He has thrown 91 passes in the fourth quarter this season. And when you rank him against other quarterbacks who've thrown that many, he is 28th out of 28 quarterbacks and on target rate less than 62 percent and he's last in completion percentage 51 percent so that is when you want your quarterback to thrive and he's like he's wilting like you know Aaron Rodgers in that situation uh we've seen him him do that Derek Carr in that situation we've seen him come through Baker Mayfield has not been that guy this season uh last year he ranked 14th in completion percentage in the final three minutes of games where the Browns were tied or trailing it was only 63%, and that's not great, but it's not you know horrible. He's still middle of the pack. Uh, but he was second in on-target rate in those situations. So even though he wasn't completing a lot, he was putting them in positions to be caught. And he wasn't shy about throwing it deep because he also led the league in yards per attempt in that situation. In the same scenario, this season he ranks 29th out of 29 quarterbacks. He's only completing 41% of his passes, and he's 27th in on-target rate. So he's not even giving his receivers as good of a chance to catch those passes. In other words, like nobody's saying you left too much time on the clock for Baker Mayfield. Has anybody ever said that since Baker has been here? I don't know. But you hear that a lot with guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, they left too much time. It's just, it hasn't been the case with Baker. Um, Pro Football Reference uh, points out when the Browns trail with less than two minutes to go this season, Mayfield is 8 of 21, 58 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Even when you go back to like four minutes or less when the Browns are, are trailing, it's only 11 to 26, 74 yards. Again, no touchdowns, two picks. 
last season, he was really good in that situation. 10 of 13, 161 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. His fourth quarter passer rating last year, 91.9. And he's down about 66 this season. So it's, again, just just about everything that has to do with Baker. It's been this up and down, back and forth in the team. And for a, a Browns team that has played so many close games over the last two seasons, like if you get that kind of poor quarterback play, it's just it kills you. And we've seen that with those those late drives that just have not ended with points and wins. And the Browns, that's a that's a they don't need to solve all their problems going into the last two games, but that's something that they really need to get on track because despite all the issues, despite the four picks, the potential well, I guess it should have been it could have been four picks by the time he he got to the last one uh against the Packers. Despite all that though, they're still in a position to win that game which right. is amazing. And a lot of the games have been like that, you know, an offense that hasn't really performed that great, but then you, you know, you get to the end of the game and it's, it's right there for the taking. But like I said, maybe, maybe this is a good omen in a way, I guess, like his performances in the fourth quarter seems to go up and down each year. So next year on a fifth year option, maybe he returns to that 2020, 2018 form, or maybe the, you know, the Browns decide not to wait and see. The injuries are, I think are clearly, part of this to what degree is the complicating factor of this season but i was going back and watching some old baker stuff even just from last year and he just makes throws at times that he doesn't make right now it doesn't have the same zip it doesn't have the same pop and that's clearly a factor here but i also think there's enough stuff that i think some of his late game Read some of his late game decision-making also has not been great. And is that injury related or not? I don't know, but it is. Um, I know we're going to get into play calling. I do think part of it is Baker is best in situations where you don't know for sure he's going to pass. And a lot of times late in game, just like, well, they better throw, even though I'm sure we'll get into whether they actually do need to throw late in games. But as soon as, you're in a world where it's it's time to throw and then they don't have a number one receiver. So mm-hmm. they have they have necessity but not capability. And then all of a sudden, like the whole part of this deal is the balance and the that they have multiple weapons. But a lot of times at the end of the game, Scott, it comes down to like, can your quarterback and your best receiver carry you? And they don't have a best receiver right now. And the quarterback's not playing great. So yeah, it's hard. I, I heard, I can't remember where I heard, I know I heard this on a podcast. I cannot remember which one, but somebody said people describe quarterbacks as trucks or trailers. Like you're either pulling your team or you're getting pulled by your team. And like Baker isn't a trailer necessarily, but I think it was, he's a sidecar. <laughs> mm. He's like, sometimes he's, it's just, you do get the sense that he needs to have a very good situation around him for them to be successful, but I don't think it's like a Trent Dilfer Ravens situation. Um, it's it's not that. He's just kind of like caught in the middle there, and you're not really sure what he is or what he's going to be long term. And like they said here, it's it goes up and down depending on the year. Like I think at the end of last season, you thought, well, he's a guy who can pull his team because we saw him make some big time throws and and the passing game really. Uh, really come through for them. But again, you can also point to multiple seasons where that hasn't been the case. I do think, you know, just having done some research on uh, 
quarterbacks in this modern era, sort of like in the five-year, you know, the four-year plus the fifth-year option for first-round quarterbacks. And just in this era where teams have started to approach, hey, you really want to win on your quarterback's rookie deal and you try to build up your team and win right away. I think that Baker Mayfield is the biggest in-between maybe quarterback in this modern era because there are a lot of clear yeses. Actually, there's not a ton of clear yeses. For as much as everybody wants everyone to be Patrick Mahomes, those still are pretty rare. But there are some obvious yeses, very quick yeses. There are some obvious, fairly quick no's. Like, listen, man, like Josh Rosen was, wasn't was picked that far behind Baker Mayfield, and he was a no after one year. You know, Sam Darnold was the third pick in Baker's draft, and he was, he's, was such a no, he's lost his job with two franchises at this point. So that I that Baker, not only is Baker a maybe, he's a yes, then a no, then a yes, then a no. It's not like he's a maybe the whole time. Yeah. He's just on both ends of things, and it's instability. It is lack of a number one receiver. It is injury. It is play calling of the different offenses he's been part of. It is how good the run game is, which also which like props him up, but yet in, in some ways I think almost holds him back. He is, and, and like I'm trying to find a way to write this, but like I actually I'm talking out my column right now. He is the biggest maybe that it's very hard historically to try to find a fit for him because he's all over the place. And the fact that he's injured only makes it crazier. All right. So that's not yeah. the only part of this late game stuff, though. There's other stuff that goes into this. Right. Because then this is Baker is a maybe. So then what? So let's take a quick break and come back and talk about how you're supposed to dial up plays late in the game with this offense right now. Next, I've got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott back. Go be a Browns insider. A little gift to yourself here late in the season. Go to Clem.com slash Browns. You can sign up there. You get the text right in your phone. You get all the stories. You get a little extra story every day from our Browns team. We'd love to have you join us there as we try to figure out how the rest of this season is going to go. All right. I think there has been, I mean, there a lot of people are sort of talking about the play calling in that two-minute situation. And I think there are, again, there's no, I don't think there's a consensus here, Scott, on what, what people think should have happened here. So mm-hmm. let's dive into this Kevin Stefanski part of this with the play calling. Where are you going to take us? Yeah, this is a hard one to get at with numbers because as you've written and talked about, like a lot of things can be situational. Who's the left guard you're running behind or who's the right tackle on that play? And, you know, who's the running back in the game, stuff like that. And then, you know, personnel groupings, obviously are situational as well, right? You use 13 personnel more against this team because you like your matchups that your tight ends can get, or you use 11 personnel against this team because you want to spread out the defense create running lights. But there are a couple of things we can get into here. Um, and the first one has to do with those five potential game-winning drives I mentioned at the top. And those were against the Chiefs, Chargers, Steelers, Ravens, and Packers. Came up short in all those. And when you're trailing in the fourth quarter, you tend to put more wide receivers on the field because you need to get the ball down the field faster. Passing picks up more yardage quicker. It has a higher EPA than running the ball overall. But the Browns' success rate out of 11 personnel when you got three receivers on the field this season is 43%. That's tied for 26th in success rate. Their passer rating in those situations is 80.2. And it would be easy to say that the Browns' offense is built to play with a lead, and I'm pretty sure I've said that before, or more specifically how like the offense is, the way the offense is built puts them at a disadvantage, it seems, when they trail. But last season, 
their success rate was 48% when they passed out 11 personnel. And that was tied for 11th. Passer rating was over 100. And I think that has a lot to do with the wide receiver room this season. Last year, there, there was injury to OBJ, but you had Landry, who didn't miss a game. You had Higgins. He was great. Hodge was efficient. DPJ came through in big situations, like just surprised you week after week. This year, OBJ is gone again, but Landry's been in and out. Higgins has been rocky if when he's played. DPJ hasn't come through like last year, and Hodge's reliability is gone. It's replaced with Anthony Schwartz, Jamarcus Bradley, and whoever else they've tried it out there in emergency situations. So in the fourth quarter, under all those circumstances, 11 personnel, the Browns have a 33% success rate, and that ranks last when they pass. Remember, 11 personnel is a personnel grouping that most NFL teams use most often. Browns quarterbacks have a 54.1 passer rating when using 11 personnel in the fourth quarter. So you're trying to move down the field with a lot of the receivers on the field, and this is the situation where you perform the worst when you have to pass. 13 personnel, the Browns use it more than anybody. Three tight ends on the field. Their success rate is 67%, 105.3 passer rating. That's great, but they're only... That's only nine dropbacks in the fourth quarter out of 13 personnel this season. They use it a lot, but they don't really pass out of it very much in situations in the fourth quarter. And then 12 personnel, they're kind of almost middle of the pack, 55% success rate when they pass out of that. Now, against the Packers, there was a lot of debate over Kevin Stefanski's play calls once the Browns got to midfield on that final drive. Remember, Nick Chubb came out of the game, and I watched that play a lot after he caught that pass. Like It seemed like he took himself out because he seemed to look at Durnis Johnson and Durnis Johnson threw off his, threw off his, uh, his coat and ran onto the field. Um, I mean, Nick Chubb did most of the work to get them to midfield. I think you even brought this up on podcast. I mean, he had to be tired at that point and needed a breather. And so he was not in the game at that point. A lot of people wanted to know why the Browns threw three straight times at that point. Why not keep running it? They had all three timeouts. And Stefanski said on Monday, he felt good about the play calls. After reviewing them, first down to Njoku, he had a potential explosive play that it was just the pass missed. He had the screen to to Ernest Johnson set up on second down, but that got batted down. He had a potential for a big play as well. And then you have the pick on third down. So it's worth noting, and this will probably make people who want them to run the damn ball (laughs) happy, that the Browns have more success running the ball than throwing in the fourth quarter this season. Their success rate on dropbacks in the fourth quarter ranks last, 38 percent. Their success rate on rushes in the fourth quarter is 14th, about middle of the pack, but it's 40 percent. Last week, last last season, it was almost even. They were like 47 percent either or in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that had to do with how well Nick Chubb did. They had almost a full season of that nice rotation of Chubb and Hunt, and they were able to get a lot of yards running and it kind of evened that out. But when they dropped back this season in the fourth quarter, it has been bad. Um, And again, I'm not trying to throw fuel on that debate, but I think it just shows why we're talking about this in the first place, that they've been really bad when they've had the pass in the fourth quarter, and they've been much better when they have to run it. Which is why, I mean, that has to factor into the decision-making. I know there's some point of this, and it's like, well, at some point, you've got to put it on your quarterback, because if you're going to go to the Super Bowl, and it's like, you're not going to go to the Super Bowl in Green Bay on Christmas, You're trying to get three points. You're down by two. Do whatever it takes. And so that's why I don't – to me, that's – we constantly go back and forth with small picture, big picture with the Browns because we're trying to figure out how they can be 
how they can win a Super Bowl. And a franchise quarterback is a gigantic part of that conversation. But then we're also trying to figure out what do they need to do to like get in the playoffs by hook or by crook right now. Mm-hmm. And that to me was not a, well, if we're going to grow as a team, we've got to put it on the quarterback at some point kind of moment. That was a, we're better running late. We're not great throwing late. I wish we were better throwing late, but we're not. And it's even the difference on second down. So you miss the you miss the Njoku, Njoku throw on first down. And we can run through that play a thousand times if we wanted to. It looks like Njoku's the first read. Landry and Peoples-Jones are of various degrees of probably open underneath. But I understand that Njoku's the first read. He's got single coverage. It isn't. It's an out route where there is room. And if mm-hmm. you if the route and the throw connect, it's there. I understand what Stefanski's saying, but also, I mean, the one thing about Njoku is we have to remember he's still not great at catching. I don't think he is great at the fine points of like running routes and making plays. That his he's the same guy he's been for five years, which is like an incredible athlete who I don't think is like a incredibly precise tight end. So the idea that Baker Mayfield and David Njoku in that moment weren't able to connect is like, well, that's not a shock to anybody. Right. And and maybe it's like, well, they don't have a number one receiver to throw to. It's like, okay. But in that moment, like Kevin Stefanski saying the play call was great. Maybe the design was great. And maybe the guy was theoretically open, but did it fit the personnel that you're putting it on Baker Mayfield and David and Joku in that moment? That I would quibble with. And then on second down the screen, okay, I get that the screen, the screen was there for sure. But if you hand it off there, you don't have to worry about it getting because you know it doesn't get batted down, a handoff. So you still, even though a screen should work and they run screen successfully, there's at least some chance that it's going to be incomplete, even if it's there, which that was. And it's just that kind of thing. And then, by the way, you have to get Chubb back in the game. Incompletion, incompletion. You don't want to use a timeout when the clock's already stopped. That's why they didn't get Chubb back in the game. But if you run on first or second down, then you can take the first timeout, get Chubb back in the game, then throw again. So that's why... I understand where Kevin is talking about, like from like a theoretical, almost Madden, RIP John Madden, but like a video game kind of perspective, like the play call was there. And it's like, I I don't care about the play call. I care about the players within the play call. And that's where I think they fell a little bit short, Scott. Yeah. Well, like if that screen connects, we're probably not even complaining about the Browns in the fourth quarter because uh, they've been excellent on screens. I think that the throw to Njoku, though, I th- I think that goes into to what I wanted to get into next because that would have been, and he even called it like a potential explosive play. And I, I wanted to get into that because I wrote earlier this season about how Baker's inability to connect on deep passes hurt the Browns' ability to put together a game-winning drive. And I actually, I wrote that after the Chargers game. Like if you want to drive 75 yards over the final two minutes of a game with or without timeouts, you need to complete some deep passes. And that pass to Njoku would have, would have qualified. Like between 2016 and 2020, there were 22 game-winning drives that began inside the team's 30 within the final two minutes of play. In other words, like situations that are similar to the Chiefs, Chargers, Ravens, and Packers game for the Browns. And five of those 22 game-winning drives ended in touchdowns, and all but one of them had an explosive pass play. And I'm not talking of short throw, big run. I'm talking air yards down the field, 15 to 20 yards down the field. And out of those 22 game-winning drives, there were 11 that ended with a field goal. 
that won the game. And nine of those 11 included at least one deep pass of 20 yards or more. So the point here is that like deep passes are a common characteristic of game winning drives. And these deep passes again, are not short passes that turn into long gains. And that's been an issue for the Browns this season. When you look at the five potential game winning drives, the Browns have had this season that we mentioned earlier, you don't see those kinds of passes until it's too late against the chiefs. It took them three plays to go, and nearly a minute to go 10 yards. The longest play was a 19-yard screen to hunt. Against the Chargers, he had short passes of 6, 3, and 2 yards to start the drive. They took almost a minute to go 11 yards. Their deep passes came with 26 seconds left. It was an emergency mode at that point. The Steelers game was a little different because they started at their own 39. There was like over four minutes to play. Uh, The Higgins false start blew up that. But the only deep shot in the entire drive was to OBJ, which was wiped away by roughing the passer call. That Remember, that OBJ pass obviously was incomplete. It was one of his two targets that day. But then you go back to the Ravens a game. Again, no deep shots. Baker was under pressure a lot in that drive. That was the one where he threw underneath Njoku on fourth down, short of the sticks. Everybody else was, was running deep, but he just didn't have the time to do that. And then lastly, against the Packers, the only one is you have that the pass to Njoku at the 50. That was incomplete. So very few deep passes and even fewer completions for the Browns in those situations. It's really hard to complete a game-winning drive if you can't do that consistently. So then the question becomes, I end up getting frustrated on too many, on too many of these <laughs> gotta watch the tapes. All these facts, all these facts. Here's the question, right? Is there not a chicken and the egg question here? That the Browns are a team that they don't throw the ball down the field all that much, right? And I know last year they had explosive plays and they did, they did, did have big time plays. But again, at their heart, they're a three tight end, run the ball kind of offense. So that's how they function for three and a half quarters. That's what they do. It's what they want to do. It's what they think they're good at. And then late in games, that doesn't work. Late in games, you have to throw the ball down the field. So then when they have to do it, they're not good at it. So are they not Are they not good at throwing down the field and they just cover that fact up for the first three and a half quarters and find ways to win? Or would they maybe be better at throwing down the field if they ever tried to do it before the final five minutes of the game? Which is why, listen, they need a number one receiver and Baker needs to be better. But it's why I love the 13, excuse me, I love the 11 personnel against Green Bay because they were doing it earlier in the game. And it wasn't like, well, I guess we'll have to throw now, even though we never want to do this, that I do think at least part of it is Kevin Stefanski's preferred style of offense does not fit for a team needing to come back and win late in the game. It is a put away a lead offense. It is not a stage, a comeback offense. And I think that's his preferred version of offense, regardless of personnel. And again, give him Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes, and maybe he would be like, what are you talking about? I would do it differently. But I do think there's something to that, Scott, that it's their style that makes them kind of bad at this. And and I know, and again, they won some games late last year, but that last year they were more putting it away, not trying to come back. They're not a comeback team, and they're not a comeback team because of the way they're built. Yeah, I think it's easy to to make that argument. I, 
Oh, like they, they so actually when have. Someone starts off by will... saying it's easy to make that argument, <sighs> then you're going to tear it apart because that means it's you. You mean it's easy for a dumb person to make that argument? No. That's the part you left out there. No, I think. Look, if you watch the games, I think that starts to like you start to think that. I think that's that's a perfectly understandable way to view this team. But I was going to point out that they actually have the same. They average the same amount of air yards passing out of thirteen personnel as they do out of eleven personnel. Um, just a little over nine yards the, per pass. It's not because 13 personnel is high. It's because their 11 personnel air yards is so low. Right. Baker's uh, ranked 18th in number of passes, 20 yards or more down the field. So, I mean, yeah, they don't take, they're, they're not, I mean, they're not the Raiders, obviously they're not the Bills. They don't, they don't do that a ton. They, they, I think, would prefer to short, throw shorter and get yards after catch, although so many of their passes are throw to the guy looking at you and he falls down uh, after, you know, after catching the ball. They're in, the Browns don't seem to lead the league uh, very much in, in yards after catch. So that could have a lot to do with it as well. But, yeah, I, I get that sense, too, um, that they're not really built that way. But, again, I think – some of that this season has to do with the players that got in the wide receiver room and who's been available, who's been hurt. And I think the other thing that comes in late in games is quarterback scrambling. And and there are times I think where you'll see a quarterback get something out of nothing in a moment, because I do think sometimes late in a game, especially when the clock's really against you, you can't wait, 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 wait for your third and fourth read. And sometimes the most athletic mobile quarterbacks will just say, okay, well, I'll just take this nine right now. It's right there in front of me. Let me get nine yards and get out of bounds. Whether that's Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson or whatever. And then again, that's just not really on Baker's plate. So I think when you combine the lack of downfield passing based on scheme, receiver personnel and quarterback ability with the lack of mobility of the quarterback, you're back in the shoebox, man. That's going to be my if I were if I were going to write like a book about like how to play football, which, <laughs> which nobody would read. It would be called the efficiency shoebox because um, I, I mean, so many, so many coaches talk all the time about you want to stretch a defense horizontally and vertically, right? You want to make a team cover the entire field. And sometimes I feel like the Browns make a defense cover like 40 percent of the field. And then mm. that's it. And then again, late in the game, because when there, you make a some... defense cover the entire field, sideline to sideline and down the field, you sometimes you find holes late in the game and the Browns don't find a lot of holes. There's some old school uh, coaches and GMs who would who would let you go straight that for them. The efficiency shoebox. Yeah. The efficiency How to play box. football book. Yeah. Yeah. How to play football um, within one third of the field. So yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't need to be and, and again I think this offensive the strange thing is they basically brought back the entire offense as is and it's less effective and they're not gonna bring back the entire Yeah, but how much has that, that entire offense year? played together this year? Right? How how no, often has that tr- entire offense played together this year? No, that's true, but again in a COVID world, I mean it's like everybody's dealing with that and so yeah, it's almost like I wish they could break down some of this, you know, sports info solutions could have like COVID absences affecting <laughs> stats and, and teams who didn't have COVID absences affecting stats or whatever, because 
I agree with that, but also other teams without their dudes seem to find ways to do this more often than the Browns do. Yeah, yeah. I did want to go over holding lead, and I know the Browns haven't been in this situation in a while, but one thing the Browns have been pretty successful at doing under Kevin Stefanski is building leads. Like, they outscore opponents in the second quarter last year. They're doing it again this year. But scoring is hard in the NFL, like breaking news there. Just because you have success in the first half doesn't mean it's going to continue. And beyond that, there is value in trying to reduce risks when you take uh, or when you have a big lead, or at least that's what NFL coaches seem to believe that there's value in reducing risks or else so many wouldn't operate that way. So I wanted to get into that because we, we talked about this, I think, after uh, one of the Ravens wins, um, a lot of the wins last year. Obviously, they, they've lost some big leads this, this year. But when you, when you have that big lead, everybody, I think, seems to look at the offense and, and wonder why it's not scoring anymore and how is this team getting back into the game. And I know, and I'm including this, that like among people who have been quick to point out that all these big leads that they've gotten and failed to keep over the past two seasons. But, and I think I'm going to test your memory because I know I brought this up off podcast at one point. Do you know what their record is? The Browns record when they have held a double digit lead in a game, what their record is over the past two seasons. Oh yeah. Is it like a lot of wins and like two losses or something? (laughs) 15 and two. The Browns are 15 and two when they've held a double digit lead at some point over the past two seasons. They're nine and oh last year, six and two this year. It was the Casey game and the Chargers game. But that's it. It's like one of the reasons for the Browns' ability to keep their leads, though, is because that they don't throw interceptions in the second half. And as a matter of fact, they don't throw very much at all in the second half. Like over the last two seasons, just seven picks in the second half of games. Four last year, which ranked 26th, and only three this year. Now, we should note that two of those were quite devastating. <laughs> one was the Chiefs and one was the Packers. But just three picks in the second half of games this year. The Browns are last in the NFL in second-half dropbacks. They're seventh in second-half rushing attempts. It was even a bigger um, disparity last year. They were 31st in second-half dropbacks last year, third in rushing attempts. So, again, it's been kind of the same. But in the fourth quarter, specifically, because we're talking about the fourth quarter today, the Browns are 28th in dropbacks in the fourth quarter. They're second in rushing attempts, first in rushing yards. They're also second in rushing yards per attempt. So again, few teams run the ball as well as the Browns late in games. Last year, they were first in attempts and yards and third in rushing and yards per attempt. So, I mean, this is something that they've been good at under Kevin Stefanski. But again, passing continues to be an issue. They're doing it a lot less and the efficiency just isn't there. Passing has been an issue in the fourth quarter, and that makes it hard to rally in games like when you're playing the Packers, the Browns rank 30th in yards per attempt on passes in the fourth quarter this year. So whether they have the lead or not, passing has been an issue. And that's how you fail to complete game winning drives. It's also how you have trouble scoring when you have a lead you built in the first half and it continues to shrink and continues to shrink. And you're sweating out wins late in games like we've seen the Browns do a lot. I am starting to wonder if they can win a Super Bowl with this style of offense. They are so different than the rest of the league. And I think sometimes you can be an outlier. I like outliers when you are a lesser talented team trying to compete. You have to do it differently. But once you get there and you start to get the talent kind of equal, then I think being different than everybody can hold you back. 
And I think they maybe have reached that point. And this is not this is not inspiring confidence in me, Scott. It's like, well, as long as they get ahead in the first half and then hold on for dear life and try to win by a field goal. And it's like, well, that worked against everybody except Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And it's like, well, you know who you have to beat to get to the Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. So you're going to you're going to play teams with great passing attacks and comeback quarterbacks knowing you aren't a comeback team at all and your goal is get a first half lead and hold on but even that might not be enough but if you don't have the lead late you're dead because you can't come back that's not a super bowl winning formula and if they've done this because it's what they have because they had to then okay but they're also making some choices here and they just invested a boatload of money in two guards we think they're going to keep two running backs and pay them and and they don't they haven't had a, a number true number one receiver and they better get one, but like, uh, I have doubts. I don't know, man. Like, they, Kevin Stefanski brought this very specific style of offense to Cleveland. And as much as Baker is not playing well, I'm starting to wonder if the style itself is holding the Browns back in some way. That's valid. <laughs> I'm getting there too. I think, yeah, you, you, you're right in that the good teams you're going to face, the teams that you've had trouble coming back or holding leads against, that those are the teams you're going to see in the playoffs. Do we give Kevin Stefanski any credit for pulling out that many games when he's had a lead? Uh, yes, yes. And and if the goal, I mean, he got the Browns, he coached the Browns to the playoffs and do a playoff victory for a franchise that was desperate for that. So it worked last year, and it also was maybe what was needed last year. But now when you add the defensive talent they've added, right? That they cuz they were a little short last year on one side yeah. of the ball for sure. They were oh, short. Yeah. But you add this defensive talent, you invest in the offensive line the way you have, and then are you that team anymore? Are you that team anymore? I just think you've got to go invest in receiver and go. But you can't. But part of me wonders about them investing. In, it's like, all right, they're going to take a. They're going to pick in the teams. They're going to draft the receiver. Are they going to use them? Because I think they could. I mean, the the the, the Viking style of offense. They just dropped Justin Jefferson in there, and Justin Jefferson's awesome. So the Browns should be able to do that. But I have doubts about it because they, there is some culpability on Kevin Stefanski and Baker for not using Odell Beckham Jr. more effectively. Yeah. Right, that that they were unable to make that work with a guy who still had some talent. Listen, he didn't go to the Rams. He's not catching 10 balls a game. But there is that that is at least some sign of, man, I don't know if they know how to use guys like that. So that's got to change. And now, now I'm making another podcast. We suddenly we're, we're talking about the we're talking about the last two minutes of games, and I've transitioned into is the entire Browns offensive structure fatally flawed. Yes. Let's cover that next three minutes. This sounds like a Doug Maurice Scott Patsco offseason project. But I, yeah. but I very, very much believe in the idea of be unique to raise up a team that doesn't have the talent. But once you have the talent, just be like everybody else. Because the reason everybody else is doing that is because that's what works. So, okay. Should we go to defense now? I can calm down yeah. a little bit. Or, yes. I don't know if you're going to calm right. down, but yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll do that next. I've got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott back. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. And again, the defense is also missing some dudes, Scott. And that's the thing. And actually, I, I have a whole I, I want to run a theory 
I'm still conflicted, right? I, I, I wrote what I wrote about Baker, and to me, like it feels like it's sort of fading away, but I am conflicted about it. And I do want to bring up a brief Miles Garrett point because I just want to get your thoughts on it. But this defense, we can't act like this defense is is full speed ahead. And they sort of have been patching it together without some of their dudes. And they've kind of been doing their job. So what's the view on the defense late in games here? Yeah, it's just a couple of things I want to mention about the defense. So uh, like as the season has gone on, the Browns have gotten a ton better at getting off the field. You remember that was a problem the first half of the season. Like the Browns ranked 25th in opponent third down rate or like over 43% through the first eight games. They've lowered that to 40%. Uh, at this point, it's only ranked 21st, but over the last three weeks, opponents are only converting 28% of their third downs against the Browns, which is third best. That's for the whole game. That's not just fourth quarter, but I do want to mention that off the top because they have certainly gotten better. And it's kind of, like you said, amazing. They've done that with like a mishmash of starters and backups and whoever else they've, they managed to have on the field over the last few weeks. So, but there's some bad news here uh, when it comes to late in games. Oh, Oppo- I thought there would be mostly good news. There's bad news. There is some bad news, believe it or not. Uh. So opponents are averaging seven and a half points per game in the fourth quarter against the Browns. And that puts them all the way down at 24th. It's better than a nine points a game they gave up last season in the fourth quarter, but you're still in the bottom third of the league. And that stood out to me because this is a defense that is on the field in the fourth quarter less than almost any other team in the NFL this season. The Browns rank third in the league in fourth quarter possession of the ball, just over 55%. And they've actually been had the ball 60% of the time over the last three weeks. So less time on the field and more points points given up by this defense has, has made them rank 31st in EPA per play in the fourth quarter. That means opponents have more successful plays that lead to first downs or points against the Browns than every other team but the Raiders in the fourth quarter this season, which I was kind of surprised to to find out. Browns are actually giving up nine yards per pass attempt in the fourth quarter when trailing or tied. That's fifth worst in the league. They have one sack this season in the fourth quarter when they are tied or trailing. They rank 31st in pressures in those situations as well, which again is Surprising when you got Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney on the field for a lot of a lot of these games. The Browns have been the best in the league at limiting explosive plays in the fourth quarter, or at least running plays. Anyways, they rank thirtieth in limiting explosive pass plays. And you probably remember that seventy-five yarder to Tyree Kill in Week One, the forty-two yarder to Mike Williams uh, when they played the Chargers, the fifty-yarder to uh, Deontay Johnson when the Steelers that kind of clinched it for them. All those were fourth quarters. Close losses. So the fourth quarter is a big difference uh, from how the defense performs earlier in games. If you just track the first three quarters of games this season, the Browns are 15th versus explosive running plays. They're eighth versus explosive passing plays, but that just falls off the chart in the fourth quarter when teams in many situations have to pass against the Browns and they've come up with these huge plays. So again, as you go into these final two games, there's, probably going to see some close games over the last two weeks and how they perform in those situations is going to end up determining, you know, whether or not they get the job done. Because like I said, off the top, there's a very good chance that they will control their own destiny come kickoff on Monday night. 
So, I mean, we had talked a lot on, on other podcasts this year, like which side of the ball would you rather have on the field for the Browns late in the game? And we all had come around on definitely, definitely the defense. But do we just pick that because a complete lack of faith in the offense and the defense is not actually that good? Because it, I don't know. It feels like the defense. I mean, like like late game Packers, the Packers were far enough ahead, but like late game Packers, they got it done and helped by the Devontae Adams drop. But I actually am a little surprised by this too. You said you were a little surprised by the by the numbers that it sort yeah. of feels like the defense has been better in fourth quarters than that. Yeah, because they've gotten they've gotten you know some stops when they've had to. It hasn't necessarily been huge plays or like sacks, um, but they've gotten some three and outs. Uh, they've gotten big tackles by like Denzel Ward. I think it was the Raiders uh, game. <clears throat> that kind of helped them get the ball back. And then you go down the field and uh, obviously they got the big pick in the fourth quarter that didn't end up having the outcome they wanted. But uh, yeah, I was surprised to see they only had one sack. And then, I mean, the passing yards really weren't that surprise surprising because I just, I started to think of all those huge explosive plays that they've had. But um, yeah. And for the record, when I think when we asked that question, who would you rather have on the field at that point in the year, I said, Chase McLaughlin. I no longer think that just, I want to point that out <laughs> no longer in that camp of put chase on the field and, and you're good to go. Um, but yeah, if, 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 if the Browns the are clock. facing clock. a situation where they need, yeah, if, if they need to face a team that has to pass to get down the field, um, I don't know how confident I am that, that they will stop that at this point. All right. So let me ask you miles Garrett question before we leave miles Garrett really did not do that much against the Packers, but he sort of was praised for, fighting through the groin injury and just like being out there. I don't know that anybody was like, Hey, how come miles Garrett didn't get a sack on Aaron Rodgers?" Right. I mean, I, I don't even know what the PFF numbers have said, Scott, like he just, he just did not seem particularly impactful, especially compared to a typical miles game. We know how often he gets sacks, but he's in the backfield a lot and affects the game. Baker's playing hurt and it's, it's not just, well, at least he's trying. It's like, well, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Like, is that, is there, are there any comparisons there that like, I'm not asking like, should people be complaining that miles didn't do more against the Packers, but there's sort of a line you walk here of like giving a guy credit for toughing it out. And then also being like, well, I don't know if you're going to be out there, I guess you kind of got to do your job. Don't you? So I don't know. I didn't, I just, I, I was, um, curious it's clearly not an apples to apples comparison but i wanted to see what you thought about that yeah um well i mean miles did end up with the most pressures <laughs> Steven, i think he had the best pass rush grade from pff for the browns in that game too he had three pressures uh but i mean all football players and, and they they've given they've given baker credit too um but they're always going to point that out that you know everybody's fighting through something. And I think a lot of that had to do, at least in Miles' case, a lot had to do with questions they were being asked. I mean, these players aren't going out of their way all the time to say those things. It's, it's a question posed to them, you know, well, how do you, you know, what, what does it say that he's going through this and still out there and fighting? And, and people have asked players about Miles in that regard. And they've asked people about Baker. They've asked it about OBJ. They've asked it about Landry. Um, so they get a lot of those questions and that's just typically how they're going to answer them that, you know, they're yes, that's inspiring. And yes, it, you know, it's great. And he's a warrior and all that. Yeah. 
All right. And not actually that much of an interesting question by me. Hmm. I just was because because I just I my my own analysis of Baker is certainly hedging toward like this probably isn't it, but is clearly complicated and conflicted because of the injury. And I just I, I'm constantly trying to be aware of how much to take that into account um, versus, well, I don't know what to do. What I mean, he's playing and he made mistakes that helped cost him the game. So here we are. Okay. Yeah. Big games ahead. We hope you guys are listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week. We hope you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. And we know some of you out there are Browns insiders, and we're certainly grateful for that. We would invite anybody else who's not a Browns insider to try it out at cleveland.com slash Browns. You can find uh, click on something there to figure out how to get signed up for that nominal fee. Right. I mean, everything. Everybody's like, oh, it's the cost of a cup of coffee or whatever. So it's like, I mean, coffee is important, too, though. I'm not telling you you shouldn't spend your money on coffee. <laughs> I like coffee. I drink coffee every day. Do you guys drink coffee every day? I get it. So that's, I think that's what I said. It's a journalism thing to say. It's as much as a cup of coffee for like a whole month of stuff. But I do say, I mean, if it's one of those coffee things, if you're getting like whipped cream and like six different flavors of sugar and stuff in your coffee, it's just a milkshake. You guys know that, right? It's a milkshake. It's a milkshake. It's not a cup of coffee. You're like, oh, I just have... I just have a coffee every day. It's like, no, you have a milkshake every day. So maybe give up having a milkshake every day and subscribe to the Browns Insider because nobody should drink a milkshake every day. And it doesn't matter if they cop, call it a frappalapa ding dong. It's still a milkshake. You guys, I mean, you know it's a milkshake. But if it's like a black coffee, then that's that's okay. Okay. Make sure you read Scott Pasco. He a lot of the stuff that he talks about here, he breaks down similar things or he breaks down other parts of the Browns, but in this similar style of analysis. So you can find that at Cleveland.com. Uh, <laughs> Just go to the website. Close. Seriously, do you not, do not know the website by now? I mean, it's the name of the city that the team is in. So um, thanks for – and then Mary Kay and Dan and Ashley and everybody are there too. All right. I'm losing it. For Scott Patsco. <laughs> I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.